better. Sorry about that. Good morning. How are y'all doing? We're here. We're in church. How about worship today, right? We can celebrate the fact that we get to come together and worship as we get everything going. If you were wondering what I was doing, I was making sure my Vine Church app was working. If you haven't had a moment, shameless plug, to download that, go download that today at thevine.tv slash app so you can follow along with us. And what we're doing is we're walking through this series called Best Summer Ever. So what we're walking through is how to live life to the fullest all the way through. And over these past few weeks, we've been in Psalm 23, and we're going to wrap up Psalm 23 today. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and get to Psalm 23. If you don't, we have them free for the asking. Uh, if you're trying to figure out where Psalm is, just take your Bible, cut it in half. You're going to land somewhere in Psalm more than likely. Uh, you keep flipping left, you'll get to Psalm 23. It's a familiar psalm. Uh, if not, wherever you're watching around the world, I just want to say we have people in the house who are smiling back at you. You can't see them, but I'm telling you, they're smiling at you right now. You don't know it. But we're so thankful that you're spending time with us. It's an honor to be with you. Our Vine production team does an incredible job. They're going to make sure the scripture is on the screen today, wherever you're watching. But also, once again, you can follow along with us on the app. And you can also take your own notes in there. Email it to a friend. Share it. I mean, it's, it's something great. You also can connect with us if we can pray with and for you. So go ahead and get to Psalm 23 as we kick off the best summer ever. Now, over these past few weeks, in the midst and the chaos of madness, medical madness, crazy madness personally, but also as each and every one of us have had an extra Sabbath that the Lord thought we needed last week. How blessed is that? Uh, just a reminder, the Lord has reminded my thick, hard head more than anything what we talked about literally two weeks in a row, but as we walk through, refreshes my soul, and that we are to operate from rest, not for rest. Now, if you've been in our Bible app devos, uh, you've heard me say it a lot, and the reason I have to keep saying it and banging the drum is because I'm hard-headed. So, uh, so much so, uh, we are called to live like the tortoise so we can work like the hare. In other words, we operate from rest to do what God's called us to do. And Psalm 23 just helps us do that and unpacks that for us. And as we dive in today, we're going to be reminded who is for us and where he is leading us to. Because we're going to dive in and talk through good and evil. Good and evil. Now, no matter how old you are, no matter how much experience you have in this world, um, we all have questions about good and evil. As a matter of fact, the, faith, the things we love the most have to do with good and evil. Like, okay, pro wrestling, I'm just going to put it up there. It is what it is. But maybe superhero movies. There's always good and evil. And believe it or not, in our culture today, the fascination is even the good guys have something evil about them, don't they? And even the evil guys have something good about them. That's what we're learning as we go through in our culture and what we're walking through. And so today, as David's writing Psalm 23, he's reminding us that good and evil exist, that there is a such thing as evil in this world, but there is good news that Christ has come. He's done something about it. He came and lived the perfect sinless life we couldn't live, died that death we deserved for our sin on the cross, and rose again on the third day, defeating death, hell, and the grave for each and every one of us. So there is good news today as we talk about good and evil. So as I put good and evil up, I just have a few questions for you really quick. Good and evil. Uh, is it good or evil that you have cake without ice cream on your birthday? Is that good or evil? Come on, we got to lay it out there. See, I like you. I love our Vine fam because they understand me. I'm not a cake guy. It's got to be ice cream cake. It's the best of both worlds, right? Like, you know that. You know that about me. Like, you can't, you can't do that. So is it good or evil to be uh, in, the, in, the, in the south in the summer 
are on the West Coast in the summer? Is it good or evil? I would say it's kind of evil to be here because humidity, man, you go outside now and it's 80 degrees and I'm flop sweat, like everywhere. Like, and I will tell you, just because you're sweating don't mean you're working out. Don't, that, that's evil to believe that. So I want to let you know, good or evil, wherever you are, good or evil. Is it good or evil to wash your hands when you leave the restaurant? Because some people think it's evil, and I'm going to tell you, it's not. It's a good thing to wash your hands. If anything this world has taught us, please wash your hands when you leave the bath. There's nothing that makes me more cringe-worthy. If you know anything about me, there's nothing that makes me cringe more than if I have to make a pit stop somewhere, and then somebody goes and, and, and does what they need to do, and then you hear the door open and shut. Like, who wants to touch that door? Like, it doesn't matter. There's not enough paper towels. I will take that paper towel stand out to open that door on the way out. So, good and evil. Good and evil. That's what we're going to be walking through. So, Psalm 23, we're going to start in verse 4 today, wherever you are. And we're just going to walk through these three verses, see what we can learn from David. And once again, we'll be pulling some excerpts from a great book by Philip Keller called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. And we're going to learn what it means through this as David's walking through this. So, it says this. Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the darkest valley. Now maybe if you learned it, you learned, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, or even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, but the darkest valley, even though I walk through it, there's someone there with me. You know, most of us heard this part of the verse probably at the funeral. This is the one you paid attention to at the graveside, more than likely, because this is always spoken graveside, this part. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though I walk through that, we're about to hear him say he's going to fear no evil. And believe it or not, whether you follow Jesus or not, and we're so thankful if you don't know who Jesus is, we're so thankful you're spending time with us and you're piquing your curiosity by diving in to see who he is. We all have questions about death. It's our human condition. We all question death. We all wonder what's going to happen. What does death look like? As a matter of fact, really quickly, before we talk about the importance of it, from 1900 to 1999, so the 20th century, if you will, I remember growing up, somebody said, where will you be in 10 years? And that was in 1998. And I said, in the 21st century, and they laughed at me. I was like, what in the world? It's the 21st century. Anyway, 20th century, over 100 million people died from genocide and warfare. That's not hunger famine, like genocide and warfare, 100 million people died, and 2,000 hit, and we freaked out over a bug, and our bank account going to crash, the computers were going to crash the world, everything was going to be crazy, then 2001 hit with 9-11, and 3,000 people died in those towers falling, right, and then we went to war, well, all of a sudden, it seems like from 2001 to 2019, we forgot about death. We tried to shove it down. We don't have to face it. It's not something that we think a lot about. And all of a sudden, COVID hit, and we're reminded again that we will all face death, no matter what. This physical body will fail. Like, I don't care what you do. I don't care how many drugs you take. I don't care how you try to fix it. This body will fail. There's something greater, though, that we're going to get to live in outside of this physical body. But this physical body will fail. So the thing that I want to tell you is this. As we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, a lot of times we talk about this being a dark season. Maybe it's not your death, but the death of a loved one, or a death of a relationship, or the death of a career, or the death of your car that you've loved so much for so many years that has been so faithful to you wherever you go. Death. 
death. We will all face it. So here's the thing. Everything we do in this life that tries to save us from death, ourself, will only lead to death. Yet in Christ, it's safe to die. We can die to ourselves in order to live. So let me ask you this. When it comes to the valley of the shadow of death, is it better to follow somebody who's already walked through it or try to figure it out on your own? Because see, if we're in the arms of Christ, the only way to walk through the valley of shadow of death is in the arms of Christ because there's an empty tomb that shows he's defeated it. He's already made the path. He's already made the way through it. So our GPS will try to figure it out on our own and say, I need to take this drug or I need to do this thing or I need to have this promotion in order for me to save myself from certain death. Yet Christ has already defeated it. So in the darkest valley, isn't it good to know that the thing that scares most of us the most in life, death, whether we want to admit it or not, death. Like we're going to go outside here in a little bit and it's supposed to rain here, but yesterday it was 90s. We're going to say, it's so hot, I'm going to die. You ain't going to die. It's not that hot outside. Like it is what it is. Like death, the thing we fear the most. And that's what David addresses next. So the question for all of us as we walk through this, I just want to say, will we trust the one who's already defeated death? Are we going to keep trying to kill ourselves in the in-between? Because if we're in Christ, we've already died to ourselves. Death doesn't scare us. Because I'm dead to myself every day. I pick up my cross every day and I follow him. I'm dead to myself already. Death doesn't scare me. I know what's on the other side of it. As a matter of fact, I've read the book. I know how it ends. And you do too if you have access to it. We know who wins. We know who's already won. We know who's already defeated. So whatever season we're in, I just want to tell you, if you're trying to do it alone, you're only going to kill yourself. But if you'll walk with Christ, you'll be able to get through it. Because David goes on to say, even though I walk through this darkest valley, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. So the only way that I can fear no evil is because the one who's already defeated the evil, defeated death, defeated the grave, is already with me. So this right here, this is what I love about Psalm 23, is it goes right to the heart of your world view. How you view good and evil. The question that many of us struggle with before Christ or even in a moment of the darkest valley is this. How can a good God allow evil things in the world? David just addresses it 100% and says a good God who gives good gifts, who loves his children, is still a good God even though evil exists in this world. And the reason he's good is even though the evil is there, he walks with us through it because he's already defeated it if we're in Christ. So maybe wherever you are, you may, be, you, you may not believe that Jesus is who he says he is and we're talking about good and evil and it's this crazy juxtaposition and, 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 and we're looking back and forth at it and you're saying, well, see, I don't believe in good and evil because to believe in good and evil would mean that there's something called moral authority and moral law and that would make me believe in God. So let me ask you this. If that's you today, thank you for hanging in. I just want to ask you a question. If evil is so objective or excuse me, subjective, if evil is subjective, and that, that's what you're saying if you don't believe that there is a God and there is no moral authority, that there is good and evil, do you lock your doors at night? How many of us here lock our car doors? How many of us here lock the door to our house at night? Why do we do that? Because evil is not subjective. Because if evil was subjective, the person breaking in your car in your house is just taken back what they thought was theirs in the first place and you stole from them. If evil is subjective, if evil is subjective, then all of a sudden there's nothing wrong with murder because then you were just taking the life of someone who harmed you or you thought needed to be taken. So if evil is subjective, then all of a sudden 
We are in mass chaos. And believe it or not, in the world we live in, doesn't it feel like evil is subjective where we are? And I will promise you the word will do that. But if evil is objective and you have already agreed you lock your door at night, you already agreed you lock the car door that you're in, then if there is a such thing as evil, then there has to be a such thing as good. And the good news is even though there is evil, Jesus has done something about it. And that's why we can fear no evil because he has already overcome it. So wherever we are, what we have to understand is as we try to save ourselves from certain death and save ourselves from hurt and evil, we're only killing the very life that Jesus died to give us. And that's what we have to understand as David's going through here is that the only way we can go and fear no evil, even in death, is if we trust Christ. David goes on to wrap up verse 4 to say, Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So Psalm 23, 4, in his whole, says this, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. Keller says it this way, and a shepherd looks at Psalm 23. He talks about the importance of a rod and staff for a shepherd. You see, the rod is for the shepherd, and the staff is for the sheep. But realistically, the rod becomes the main line of defense for the shepherd and the main line of defense for the sheep. As a matter of fact, that rod is so important because it's a symbol of strength. It's what the shepherd uses to discipline and correct the sheep, to get them on the right path, the rod. And even though it may hurt for a moment, it gets them on the right path. What is that that you're hearing? What is it? Is it Proverbs, spare the rods for the child, right? What is it Hebrews says? Now, we've heard this in, in Proverbs as well. Hebrews 12, 6 says that God does what to those he loves? He disciplines, he corrects with a rod. The good shepherd corrects, corrects. So why in the world is this important? You see, Keller unpacks in, in, in the shepherd's look at Psalm 23. He talks about even though the rod may hurt the sheep for a second, it's comforting. Because they know it's going to get them to the best place. Now, it doesn't mean he's going around just whack a mole in them like a pinata because that's probably what it may look like sometimes. But he smacks the sheep with it but this is also why the rod's important how many of us have ever been to a a a farm animal auction i seem to remember one time i've ever been one with my papa i remember cattle going around so i don't know if it was a i may have been to more i don't know it was with one of his friends i don't know i was little i just remember i remember the the auctioneer going crazy and i remember little cattle coming around and they just you know they go around in a little circle and then they'd go out whatever people would bid Never seen the sheep auction, but here's why the rod is important. You see, the wool of the sheep can even hide and make the most diseased sheep look healthy. But the shepherd takes the rod and he pulls back the wool to see the condition of the skin, to see how healthy the sheep really is. That's why the rod is important. So this is what I'm trying to ask you, and this is what he's teaching us. What's underneath the surface of you? What's underneath the surface of me? You see, the reason God corrects those he loves and he disciplines those he loves is he pulls back the fake righteousness that religion puts on to say that it's all okay. And he looks at our condition, our real condition. And he loves us enough not to leave us that way. He wants to get us to health. And so as he pulls that back, as that shepherd looks back and sees the condition of the skin, all of a sudden we can see that the wool we try to put on is only weighing us down. And you can only fake it for so long. So in other words, what David is trying to tell us here is stop playing the part because eventually it's going to fall apart. 
That sheep can't, can't hide the disease of his skin when that rod goes and pulls back that wool. It can't. And so for each and every one of us, if we really want to go through the darkest valley, know that we can fear no evil, we got to understand sometimes that comes with a little correction. It comes with a little piñata. It comes with a little like, get back in line. You know what I mean? Like a little slap. It happens, but it's putting us on the right path. So for each and every one of us, we have to see that when the Lord is doing that, he is looking at our condition and trying to help our soul from being diseased with sin and doing what would harm us ultimately more than living the life he died to give us. So let me ask you this. If you don't trust Jesus at all, how are you doing with putting all that wool on? You got to dye it a certain color. You didn't like bye-bye black sheep, have you any wool? So now it's bye-bye purple sheep, bye-bye red sheep. Bye-bye chartreuse. Hey, I went there. <laughs> All right? How long can you keep doing that? Or can you just rest in him and say, shoot, he's already beat it. I can trust him with it. David goes on in verse 5, and he says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, this is so important for us. Because that is where Jesus is leading us. The wedding banquet. He is leading us to the table. We have to understand because of him, we have a seat at the table. It doesn't matter where we sit at the table. The joy is knowing that we get to be at the table and we get to take part in the feast. So for each and every one of us, as Jesus is leading us all the way through, I want us to see this is where he's bringing us, a table. And I don't know about you, when I say table, I think of breakfast here. Amen, praise Jesus. But I think of home. When we think a table, don't we think, think about the most important conversations you've had in your family, and I guarantee you a table was involved some way, shape, or form. Either it was thrown or flipped or, or a chair thrown, I don't know. But a table is where, the, the memories I have the most, I know it sounds, as I get older, I'm reminded, the, the best memories I have, yes, are, are things that I've done, but the celebration happened around the table somewhere, whether at a restaurant, whether at home, but a table, a table. That is where Jesus is leading us. This is where Keller talks about why it's important for a shepherd leading the sheep, getting to the table. You see, as they go to the table, the shepherd, well, I'll say it this way. Sheep will eat anything. Anything. Not goats. I can't promise you they're going to eat like uh, Campbell's soup cans and, and clear out things. I can't promise you that. But a sheep will eat any weed, poisonous or not. It will eat anything that tastes good in the moment that it will think will satisfy it. Doesn't sound familiar at all, does it? What the shepherd does is he rips out the poisonous weeds and he prepares a spot in the field that the sheep can eat. He goes before them, rips out the things that will harm it, and sets a place for the sheep to go in the field and eat. That's what Jesus does. He takes all the things that would harm us and he clears the way for us to get to the table so that we can partake in something that will satisfy us. So wherever you are, I want you to see for us, as Jesus is doing that in our life, as he leads us through those valleys that sometimes involve correction, you got to understand he's leading us to the table. And in doing that, he has removed the things in our life that will make us spiritually sick. Because in this world, we'll take anything sometimes just to satisfy ourselves slowly think that we satisfy like insatiably we'll go after things maybe it's not food maybe it's the career maybe it's uh the the car maybe it's uh looking like me 
because I don't wake up looking this beautiful. You know what I'm saying? But it takes hard work. I'm just kidding. It did, it did. Like, whatever it is, whatever you're chasing, it will only satisfy temporarily. But the table that he's setting before us will satisfy eternally. So think about that. No matter what season we're going through, no matter what we're walking through, even if it seems very, very dark, he is leading us to the table. So Keller moves and says, for a shepherd, that's so important because it keeps the sheep healthy. Because think about that. How many, how many of us have more than one child? Many of the room. I, I don't yet, praise God, but I get to hang out with those who do here, and it, it cracks me up. Even with one child, bless your parents, I pray for you daily because you may not realize it, but you are doing a fantastic job. You are doing an awesome job. I see our Vine kids. I'm telling you, they're growing to be all that God's created them to be. But sometimes I know that, I have, I, sometimes, always I know that that's hard. I know it's hard sometimes. You're juggling 15 million things. So think about this as this shepherd, if it is with a sick sheep, and it's leading 100 sheep in a flock. Imagine if four of them are up there, over there, you know, throwing up lunch from earlier because they ate some poisonous weeds. Where do you think the shepherd's attention has to go to? The six sheep. So what happens to the other 96? They're vulnerable. So for each and every one of us, I want us to see our good shepherd wants to keep us spiritually in shape and not spiritually sick. So he rips those things out of our life that will make us spiritually sick, those little idols, that wonderful middle-class American dream that we chase so hard for. He rips that out of our life and says, keep going forward and trust me and know that where I've called you to and what I've called you to do, I'm going to see you through it. And so he prepares the table for us. So once the table's prepared, what ends up happening? David goes on to say in verse 5, you anoint my head with oil. Oil, excuse me. Oil, 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 oil. That's all I said. It sounds like all. I know. I can't help it. It's that southern draw. With oil, my cup overflows. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. So as we know about this, like we could go so many different directions, but really quick, yes, that is him anointing us with the Holy Spirit. Anointed means set apart. We are set apart. We are chosen because we are in Christ Jesus. That's what the anointing means. But the reason anointment is so important right here, Keller talks about why anointing matters with a sheep. Now, last week we talked about how does a sheep rest where it's free from flies and pests and refreshes my soul. So that is why they anoint the sheep's head with oil. They do that so flies and maggots can't put eggs on the sheep's head and in the sheep's head because a sheep will literally bang its head against a rock to death just to have relief from those eggs cracking and those things nesting in its head, just to have small relief. So the oil makes the eggs fall off. If you've ever had lice, you probably have had any of those things in your life. You know what the little eggs have to get out. So imagine having to do that with a sheep that's just bah, 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 eating everything and you got to pick out the little things like, no, no, no. So it anoints its head with oil. The sheep have their head anointed with oil, but it's only because they're following the shepherd. So every day, that's why Paul writes, we have to renew our mind and focus on things above because that's the anointing of our head because the flies, the pest of this world, the, the social media fights that you have, the tweets that anger you, the comments that anger you, the person that won't get out of your way at the red light or in the drive-thru or they're straddling the lane, I don't know, or, or the crazy test you know you shouldn't have taken, but 
you still had to take it and pay for it. Anyway, we won't know. That's a different one. But whatever it is, wherever you are, you show up for one thing. They tell you you got something else. Whatever. You know. If you know, you know. But all the way through, wherever we are, I want you to know, when it comes to that, we have to have our head anointed by the shepherd. But how hard is that? Do you think that sheep sits still for that oil to go on it? If you have a child that you're trying to get to the bathtub or trying to get somewhere, like literally, it, it's a grease pit probably. Like, you know, I mean, it's, I mean, let's be real. A teenager will do that. That's, I mean, we used to soap up the shower floors when I was in high school and just like slip and slide over them. I mean, it's just crazy stuff. But like all the way through. So imagine that sheep is doing that. And yet the shepherd loves it enough. That it will make sure that its head is anointed with oil, so much so, so that the flies and pests that fly around its head don't make it bang its head against a wall and kill itself. That's how much Jesus loves us. He'll anoint us so that we don't have to stress about that. He goes on to say, because of that anointing, our cup overflows. David says, my cup overflows. And that leads me to one of my favorite verses. If you ever read The Blessed Life, Robert Morris, great book. If you heard anything about it, it's one of, the, one of the books that definitely impacted my life, but it's one of those things, it's why we believe in generosity here at the Vine more than anything. And Luke 6.38 says it this way, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he talks about give and it will be given to you. Uh, pressed down, shaken, I'm going to make sure I do it. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and it will be overflowing upon your lap. So in other words, the measure in which you give, it will be given back. That's what Luke 6.38 paraphrased. Don't, if you look it up, I'm sorry, I probably butchered it. But in other words, whatever we give will be measured back to us. So if our cup is overflowing because our head is anointed, what do we think we're going to be able to share with everybody else? The anointing, the overflow, the, the, the blessing of being there with Jesus, the peace through all seasons. That's why we say we have to follow the shepherd, even through death, to experience that. David goes on in verse 6 and says this, Surely your goodness and love. Now, maybe you learned it the way I did. Surely goodness and mercy. I know NKJV. That's how I grew up. Anyway, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So, what we went through all the way through today is even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and mercy or your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Keller says this, it's no surprise. A sheep can be the most disastrous thing to a field, but well-managed, it will actually leave the field in better shape than when they walked in it because it'll be prepared for the harvest behind it. I want to say that again. A sheep can be the most disastrous thing in a field, but managed and led well by a shepherd that cares about them, it can be a field that will flourish more behind it than it did when the sheep came in. In other words, it prepares for the harvest to come. So he said that the only way, though, to know if the sheep were well-managed or not is after they've left the field. So here's the thing. It's a hard question, but it's a real one. What will follow you? Goodness and mercy? Are you following your GPS? Because if you follow your GPS, you're going to eat all the weeds in the field. 
You're going to uh, go to the bathroom without washing your hands, whatever. Like, you're going to go poop wherever you want to go. You're going to tear up the field. It's not going to be managed well. It's going to be in disastrous shape. But if you'll follow the good shepherd through the field of harvest that he has prepared for us, the one and the harvest that's left behind us will be greater than the one we stepped into. That's why we believe you can't outgive God at the vine. That's why we believe that. That's why we know God's called us to give 10% to the local church around the world of all tithes and offerings received, 5% to gospel-centered nonprofits around the world. And through that 15%, he's allowed us to give 30% because we're preparing for the harvest behind us. When they look back at us, because one day we all going to be gone. I hate to say it, but it's just the truth. All of us will die. Physically, we will die. It's going to happen. One day we're going to die, but when they look at the field behind us, they're going to look and say, man, they followed the good shepherd. They didn't do what they wanted to do. They didn't try to build their name. They weren't trying to build their brand. They weren't trying to do their thing. They weren't trying to have this. It wasn't about their name getting fame. It was about Christ's name getting fame. And what I want to tell you today is when you look back at your life where you are right now, if your field stopped today, what would it look like? Would it be goodness and love, his goodness and mercy, or would it be you just doing it your own way? There is a moment in your field where you stop doing it your way if you're in Christ Jesus and you started following the shepherd. So when you look back on your life and they look back, will they say, man, it was crazy what happened in their life. But one thing I know is they love Jesus. They gave it all they had to him. They trusted him with their life because he was the only one that can give life. And wherever you are right now, I want to ask you that. What does that look like for you? You see, we walked through all this. I've shared some crazy, funny things, hopefully. We've talked about good and evil. We've kind of laid the groundwork to say there is a such thing as good and evil. And for each and every one of us, the thing that spiritually kills us is this thing called sin. You know, we can live our whole life in our own GPS trying to find our way and put our own coordinates to where we think we need to be. And I'm telling you, it'll lead you to the wrong place and it'll lead you to death every time because once you get to that destination, you'll find out you got somewhere else to go. But in Christ, you already know the final destination. You ain't even worried about the turns because he's going to lead you there all the way. You just point that thing toward heaven and you watch him take you where he's supposed to go. But when you're trying to do it your own way, you got to get to this, this, this wrong. Then you got to get to this wrong. Then you got to get to this wrong. And I want to tell you in Christ Jesus, if you're not in Christ, I want to tell you the difference between those in Christ Jesus and not. We don't have to worry about climbing up the rungs of the ladder. You know why? We've already won because he has. It's not about the next rung on the ladder. It's not about the next thing to do. It's not about what's coming up next. Now, we pray about it. We're diligent. We live like the tortoise to work like the hare. We trust him in the work that he's called us to do. But we're not worried about the next big thing because it's not our thing. It's his. So wherever you are in your life, I just want to say when you look back, have you been trying to live your life by your own GPS? And if you have, has it ever led you to the table? Could you ever just sit at the table and enjoy a moment at the table. And all the crazy medical madness, I will tell you, everybody here, as we've got to hang out, we, we say things, as I'm trying to figure things out, GI-wise in my life, I'll be real with you. One of the things that people are miserable about is they see I can't eat at the table, and they think I'm miser miserable with it. But you see, the thing is, whether I eat or not, I could care less. I'm just thankful to be at the table. The table. What about your life? What table are you going to? Are you going to the table that's a all-you-can-eat buffet at Golden Corral, if that's still available? I have no clue in the world we live in. Or is it, is it something that only leaves you satisfied, not satisfied, wanting more? Or is it the one that fully sustains and satisfies you? Where are you at?
Because you see, Jesus is trying to lead you home. He says it this way in John 14, verse 1 through 7, when it comes to this thing called good and evil. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. Even in the darkest valley, my friends, even in the darkest valley, you know the way to the place where I'm going. Some of us may be asking what Thomas said to Jesus right there. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? In other words, Thomas is saying, hey, Jesus, where you're going is not in my GPS. I don't know where you're going, so could you tell me where I need to go? Could you tell me how to program where you're going in my GPS? And Jesus says, this is how you do it. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. In other words, what Jesus is telling Thomas is program me in your GPS and I'll take care of the rest. So where are you at in this life? Are you trying to chase the next thing? Are you trying to think that that's going to bring you satisfaction? I don't know if anything has taught us anything in 2019 and 2020, but everything that's an idol in our life can be ripped away. But the one thing that will be with us in every season is Jesus Christ. And so for you today, with every head bow and every eye closed, I just want to say the reason we do what we do is to make sure that everyone knows that Jesus is who he says he is. In the darkest valley, in the craziest season, and what can seem like the worst season, that he is bringing us to the table. That Jesus came, lived the perfect sinless life we couldn't live. And because of sin in our life, we could not be made righteous because we couldn't live that perfect life. So not only did he live that perfect life, he paid the penalty for our sin by dying on the cross because the wages of our sin is death, is death. But Jesus loved us enough, he didn't stay dead. He rose again on the third day and he left an empty tomb conquering death, hell, and the grave so that we can fear no evil even when we're in the darkest valley. And as we follow him, we can see that we are sustained and everything in us will last for eternity. So with every head bow and every eye closed, we're about to pray this prayer for the benefit of those coming to faith for the first time. It's not the words of this prayer, it's the faith that Jesus is who he says he is. So with every head bow and every eye closed, please repeat these words after me. Dear Jesus, I believe I'm a sinner separated from you. I believe you came, lived the perfect sinless life I couldn't live, died the death I deserved, paying the penalty for my sins on the cross, but loved me enough not to stay dead, but rose again on the third day so that I may have life. Come take over my life, Lord. Teach me to follow you step by step the rest of my life, the best way I know how. With every head bow and every eye closed, whether you're in the house, watching around the world, listening around the world, I'm gonna ask you on the count of three to boldly raise your hand if you can say for the first time you have given your life to Christ. One, two, three. If that's you, 
If you're listening throughout the week, I just want to encourage you, download our app or, or shoot us an email at prayer at divine.tv or 864-580-6698. We want to celebrate this decision. It's not that we want to lead you to anything. We want you to be led by Christ in all that you do. And we want to help you as you walk through every valley and mountaintop with him. If that's you today, would you let us know? Because we want to celebrate with you and get resources in your hand to help you. And for the rest of us, we're about to step back into worship. I'm just going to be praying. We asked some hard questions today, but some real questions. I pray that uh, I'm going to pray and then we're going to worship. But as I pray, I just want to let you know what we're going to do. I'm going to pray that the wool in our life would fall away that we would understand that Jesus knew us in the condition of our sin and loved us enough that he did something about it, that we don't have to stay that way, that we can trust him through every season in it. So I just pray right now, we're trying to put some wool on, that we would shed ourselves of it and we would just go to his throne of mercy and grace and bask in the love that he's lavishing on us, that he died to give us. So dear Jesus, I pray as we come into your presence right now, that we would just come to you your throne of grace and we would know that we don't have to have it all together it was never meant for us to have it all together it was never meant for us to earn righteousness on our own it was never meant for us to try to do it all on our own but instead Jesus because you came we can rest in you knowing that even in the darkest valley even in death we can have safety and security in you because you have already overcome it so right now Jesus if there is anything holding us back from being all that you created us to be. I pray that as we step into your presence and worship and your spirit fills this place, that we would shed ourselves of those things and just fully embrace and be wrapped up and encountered with you, that Jesus, you would be our treasure. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
how grateful can we be that there's nowhere we can go in him that he's not already there, right? Nowhere we can go. So wherever you are, thank you for hanging out with us. We know the Lord is in this place. We hope you make plans. We don't hope. We know you're going to make plans to join us next week. we got plenty of seats. You missed biscuits, hash browns, donuts, cowtails, slim jims, coffee, juice. You missed all of that. So we're going to bring it back again next week. We hope to see you here as we continue to best summer ever. Always remember, the best is still yet to come.